You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shatter State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. All right, so this week is one of my most favorite and least favorite weeks of the school year. My, it's one of my most favorite because I find this absolutely amazing, fascinating, fun, exciting, and life-changing, but it's also one of my least favorite because it can easily cause the most amount of confusion if people aren't really paying attention to what I'm saying and paying attention to the scripture that I'm reading, or if they come into the sermon with already uh, agendas against what I have to say. So, I'm a little bit nervous about tonight, but it's going to be a good night. Um, One of the biggest parts about this sermon, and I want you guys to be patient, is that because it can be controversial, this thing is full of Scripture like uh, you've never experienced in one of my sermons. There is, like, if you guys went to church a couple weeks ago when I preached and I did a lot of, that's like a third of the amount of Scripture that's going to be in this. This thing is full of scripture. And the reason is because I don't want you to hear my words. I want you to hear what the Bible has to say. So more often than not, I'm going to be reading from scripture rather than paraphrasing it into my own words because I want you to hear what the words say, not what I'm saying. I don't want this to be about me. I don't want this to be about my experiences. I want this to be about what scripture says is the truth. And in my opinion, it is more important what scripture says than what I say. So you'll have to be patient with me because I will read a lot from Scripture. So a show of hands, how many of you guys have heard the term synoptic gospels? A couple of you guys, half of you guys. Synoptic gospels, for those of you guys that don't know what synoptic gospels are, it is different than the gospels. There are four gospels, but there are only three synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke which are the first three Gospels. The reason why they're called the Synoptic Gospels is because the amount of information in them is so close to each other that they kind of belong in their own grouping, and John has a little bit different kind of information. And the reason why is because the Synoptic Gospels basically focus on Jesus' birth and then go directly into his third year of ministry. Every single one of the Synoptic Gospels does that. John, it was almost as if in, and I'm not, I don't say almost as if, it probably literally was as if. In 70 AD, John was looking back and he's looking at the Gospels. He's looking at what's been written about the time that Jesus was on earth. And he realized, hey, oh crap, uh, none of these guys have written about the first and second years of Jesus' ministry. So John goes in and focuses a lot more on the first and second years than the third year. And then the Synoptic Gospels, which are basically three different authors writing to three different audiences about the third year of Jesus' ministry. John goes in and writes about something completely different. So the information, even though they are very similar within the Synoptic Gospels, you can almost read a completely different different viewpoint of Jesus' ministry on earth with the book of John. <clears throat> there are only two things that I've really found, and I can't say only two, but two things that I've definitively found that are in all four of the Gospels. And those four, th- or the, the two things that I have found that are in all four of the Gospels are primarily Jesus Christ's life, death, 
and resurrection, and then baptism in the Holy Spirit. Those are the only things that are in all four Gospels that I've really found. Even the parables are different. The sermons are different. The locations are different because they're talking about different, um, different points of the ministry. And so, in my opinion, if those are the most important things, uh, in my mind, if those are the most important things that the writers of the Gospels are trying to get across, they're going to make sure that that's in their writing. If it's important enough that it's in all of the Gospels, then in my opinion, it's important enough that we have to talk about it. We cannot just skim by it because one denomination believes something different than another denomination, and another denomination believes something completely different. We can't do that. If it's important enough that it's talked about in all four Gospels, it's important enough that we need to have the conversation. No matter what you believe, no matter what you come in here believing, no matter what I believe, we need to have the conversation. And there was one point in time in which God said to me, I feel like God said to me, that sometimes I don't talk about the controversial aspects of my faith because sometimes I'm afraid of pushing someone away from my ministry, from this ministry. And then he immediately followed that up with, if you don't share something with someone because you don't want them to leave, then are you robbing them an opportunity to grow? And I think that even applies to sharing the gospel with somebody. If you're afraid of sharing the gospel with somebody, sharing, sharing about Jesus Christ with somebody because you're afraid that they're going to reject you, are you then robbing them of an opportunity to come to Christ and to grow? And when God said this to me, it absolutely just floored me because that's kind of a heavy accusation. That's a hard hit to, to be given, a, a tough blow to be given by God. And so I was like, God, what are you talking about? What, what am I not talking about? What am I paraphrasing, or not paraphrasing, but what am I skimming past in order to try to preserve my attendance rate, basically? And what, he felt, what I felt like he said to me was, specific, specifically, the one thing that I had started to cut out of the time that I would speak about it, was specifically about the Holy Spirit. And I consider the Holy Spirit the most important aspect of a Christian's walk. Now, I'm not saying it's the most important aspect of our lives because Jesus Christ is the most important aspect of our lives. His life, His death, His sacrifice for our salvation is the single most important aspect of our lives and of this world in my mind. But the most important aspect of a already Christian's life, see, mark my words there, I'm not saying it's more important than Jesus Christ, but the most important aspect of a Christian's life, someone who has already accepted Christ, is the Holy Spirit. And God was accusing me of not talking about it enough. Actually, not talking about it at all. And so I decided that I would have this conversation with my students every single solitary year. Every year, I'm going to have a sermon that's going to look pretty similar to this. I've honed it in over the years. I've added some things. I've deleted some things. As I come to new enlightenment with what I read in Scripture, I might change and edit things. But for the most part, the content has stayed pretty close to uh, the exact same as it's always been. And so because, um, because I said it's so important, like I said, 
uh, I'm mostly going to be reading from Scripture today. So, if you guys want to try to follow along, maybe just kind of put your hand in Acts. We're going to be in Acts a lot. But at the same time, if you kind of don't really feel like following along, I encourage you to read along with uh, what we have on the screen. But at the same time, maybe write down which verses we're using or that we're sharing here today so that you can go home and you can read it over on your own in a more broad context. Um, Because sometimes the context, you can get to too narrow of a context for what the chapter might be talking about. So I want to encourage you to write them down if you're not familiar with them uh, as it is so that you can go home and read more about them. So we're going to start off in Acts 1. I feel like this is kind of cool because Acts is kind of the beginning of I always kind of consider Acts kind of the the chapter about the Holy Spirit. We got the four Gospels about Jesus Christ, and then we kind of have Acts about the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not to say that the Holy Spirit's only talked about in Acts or that Jesus is only talked about in the Gospels, but I feel like Acts really points to the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of fitting because Jesus came, and then he said he had to leave so that someone who was better fit for us to continue this ministry, which was the Holy Spirit, had to come which is awesome because then it talks about the Gospels and then immediately it talks about Acts in Scripture. I think that's important. So starting Acts 1, verse 1, it says, In my former book, a word, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Talking about that's where the term baptism in the Holy Spirit comes from. So when I say baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can point to this scripture. And this is Jesus' own words. Baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, as a result, we believe you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So, uh, the next one I must have accidentally deleted. What is it? Acts 11. Acts 11, verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? If you guys remember, a lot of time, or most, is that not the right chapter? Okay. I don't know why I did that then. Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What does this say? It says they have to wait for what? They have to wait for the power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. And then they will be his witnesses. So in short, we believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the power to spread the gospel. 
Jesus' own words here. This is specifically Jesus Christ talking. Specifically Jesus talking. So then these verses are repeated again. Here's where the Acts 11 comes into play. These verses are repeated again in Acts 11.15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, and he had, <clears throat> as he had came on us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? It's important enough that not only is it put once in Scripture, it is repeated again a second time. And my opinion is, if Scripture talks about something once, it's obviously important. If Scripture talks about something a second time, it's even more so important. Because it's kind of trying to get a point across. Now there's a problem. A lot of denominations believe a lot of different things about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job, what the Holy Spirit came to do, when the Holy Spirit comes into us, when the Holy Spirit comes onto us, whether or not the Holy Spirit comes onto us, whether or not the Holy Spirit is currently alive and active today, or whether or not the Holy Spirit was only for these guys back then. And so because there are so many different denominations that have preached so many different things, again, I tell you, the most important thing is what Scripture tells us. So I want you to deduce what you believe out of the scripture that we are reading and actually come to uh, your own conclusion, basically, what, as to what scripture says. So, the disciples received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, right? Did you know that that is not the first time that they received the Holy Spirit? Weird, right? How many of you guys knew that? One? One of you guys? To you guys. Interestingly enough, the first time that the Holy Spirit, or that the disciples received the Holy Spirit, is actually in John 10. In John 10, 21, it says, Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them, and they, and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So the disciples received the Holy Spirit clear back in John 10 when when Jesus was still alive before he was crucified. What does that say? How do we reconcile what we're being taught here? The disciples receive the Holy Spirit here, but then Jesus says, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit to go out and preach the gospel. Why are there two totally different instances in which the disciples receive the Holy Spirit? If what we believe, or what a lot of denominations teach today, I don't believe this, but a lot of denominations teach today, once they had the Holy Spirit, then they were good to go, and they were good for the rest of their life, right? But that's the problem. According to Scripture, the disciples received the Holy Spirit in one instance, and then in another instance, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. These got to be two totally different things. They received the Holy Spirit in John 10. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit in John or in uh, Acts in the day of Pentecost. How do we reconcile these two? One is, this instance in John 10 would be the moment in which these guys became born again. The moment in which they received the Holy Spirit by being Christian and being born again, and they had a renewed spirit, which was the Holy Spirit. A lot of scholars like to call this baptism into Jesus Christ. As in, Jesus is baptizing you into the Holy Spirit. So, baptism into Jesus or being born again. Receiving the Holy Spirit inside of you to uh, set you on the path um, towards reconciliation. You're born new. You will have a new spirit. 
And so this would be the moment in which the disciples were saved or born again. John 3 talks about in order to be saved, we have to be born of the Spirit. And then in Romans 8, 9, it says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then they do not belong to Christ. So how could the disciples not have the Holy Spirit yet because they were waiting till the day of Pentecost, but still be born again? And that's just it, because they had the Spirit of Christ. They belonged to Christ because of what happened in John 10. Are you guys following? I know it's a lot of scripture, and this is more like a teaching class than a sermon, but it's going to be worth it in the end, trust me. So I need you guys to keep paying attention, because it just it, I just add a lot more scripture after this. It gets great. It's, it's going to be good fun. Because prior to this moment in John 10, prior to this moment in which we receive the Holy Spirit, Prior to this, within the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit wouldn't come into anyone. The Holy Spirit would just merely come upon them. So the prophets of the Old Testament, it says many times the Holy Spirit came upon them. The Holy Spirit came on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Never once until we see in John 10 does the Holy Spirit come into us. And the reason is because the Holy Spirit couldn't come into us until Jesus Christ was sacrificed and gave his own life for us so that we could be born again. And now we have received salvation and we are purified because of Jesus Christ's act, act that we are made new and renewed in God's eyes. And so the Holy Spirit can then dwell within us. Prior to that, we were sinners full of sin and the Holy Spirit couldn't dwell within us. <clears throat> so, the instances in Scripture, where it talks about salvation being separate from receiving the Holy Spirit, okay? So some denominations teach that the second that you give your life to Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, and that's all there is to it. Yes and no. As we've already deduced, there is a separate instance in which we receive the Holy Spirit from an instance in which we were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Two totally separate to conversation topics. And so we're going to look at instances in which there were believers within Scripture that believed in Jesus Christ and were saved, but later on received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So it can't be instantaneous. The second you believe in Jesus Christ, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit because in Scripture, there are instances, many instances, and we're just going to cover a couple of them, in which salvation came separately from baptism in the Holy Spirit. The first time that we see this or the first time that we're going to talk, or that we're going to pick up with, is in Acts 8, starting in verse 14. Acts 8. I wish I had a big, like, whiteboard so I could draw this out and make it more easier to understand. First, first time, or we're in Acts 8. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, word of Christ, they believe in Jesus Christ, accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, Peter and John then extended to them the right hand of fellowship because they had all that they were needed and all that they could possibly obtain. Right? That's what it says. That's what we believe, right? That's what most denominations teach, right? No, that's not what this says. When they arrived... They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. 
They had simply been baptized into the name Lord Jesus. We see that as two separate things. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Two separate instances. And you can separate at least, at the very least, the amount of time between they were believers to when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit by a minimum of two days. I believe it is much longer than two days. But even if you want to deduce that it was two days, it would take them two days, one day to send the messenger to the disciples, another day for the disciples to walk back and to pray with them. So at the very least, their salvation was two separate days away from when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Like I said, it's, it's weird. It's almost like the Bible didn't know the theology that most denominations have today. It's weird. It's like the Bible just didn't, wasn't psychic. It didn't know what denominations were going to teach. I'm sarcastic, or I'm being sarcastic, obviously. <clears throat> because I grew up in a church that taught contrary to this. So, again, we're going to go forward into Acts 19, starting in verse 1, I believe. <clears throat> Acts 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. See that? Did you guys see what just happened there? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, we had not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. They believed, had not received, then we're going to watch them receive. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. That would be water baptism. John's baptism. They replied, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance in Jesus Christ. They're believers in Jesus. They were water baptized, and yet they still had not received the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Two separate things. Some people teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was only for the apostles. That you can clearly, I mean, let's be real. I don't care what you came in here believing, but according to what we're seeing in Scripture, it's very obvious that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a real thing that actually occurred within Scripture. It occurs many different times. If, if you're denying that it even occurred back then, I want to urge you to read your Bible again because it is clearly written many different times in here. I mean, they make it plain as day that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and there were gifts of the Holy Spirit and there's fruit of the Holy Spirit and it talks about it many different times. And so the denominations that teach, and there are denominations out there that teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was only for the apostles' time period. And the only for the, the age of the apostles. But we're going to read in Acts 2 where that, where Scripture um, contradicts that statement. Acts 2, starting in verse 38, says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiving of your sins, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. I think that's extremely clear. The promise, which is forgiveness of our sins and the receiving of the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. It doesn't say all who just in this current age before the church and before the Bible is out there. It says all whom our Lord God will call. So how do we reconcile receiving the Holy Spirit with what we're learning now about baptism of the Holy Spirit? I just said we receive the Holy Spirit when we give our life to Christ, but that it is separate from baptism of the Holy Spirit. How do we reconcile that? How do we add the two together? It really just comes down to this. And this is the, the crudest way that I can explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit for you. You see this bottle, right? Is this bottle full of water? Is it full? It's full. The bottle is full. You can see it's at the top. It's full. This bottle is full of water. This bottle is full of water, okay? Or if you want, I'll, I'll add like the three drops it takes so that it is actually full of water. Is this bottle full of water? Yes? So now imagine that the water is the Holy Spirit. Is this bottle full of, full of the Holy Spirit? Yes. This bottle received Jesus Christ as salvation and received the Holy Spirit within him. Now we are going to baptize him in the Holy Spirit. The water no longer is encased inside and the water spills out and it completely envelops him. That is baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first is receiving the Holy Spirit. The second is baptism of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? I kind of just wanted to make a mess with water today. Yeah! Now do you get a picture of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is? How it can be different, but yet the same of receiving the Holy Spirit. In an instance, when we give our life to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ's sacrifice and our ability to receive the Holy Spirit because now we are no longer within, with sin and we have a renewed spirit. However, we are not baptized in the Holy Spirit because it is a separate indwelling. <clears throat> Okay. Let's revisit why. Or not revisit. Let's visit why. Why the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why, when people receive the Holy Spirit, do they speak in tongues and prophesy and give words of knowledge and heal people? Why? Acts 1, verse 8. We're going back to it. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of earth. Pretty clear there. Why is so that we can be witnesses. The way I kind of imagine it is when you give your life to Christ, you are given the tools to walk your life out as a solid Christian, to begin the process of sanctification and to grow closer to Christ. 
when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're receiving power tools in sharing the gospel. I really believe that it is specifically, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is specifically for sharing the gospel. It is no longer about our own sanctification. It is about spreading the gospel. It is about prophesying. It's about words of knowledge. It's about healing. It's about what the Holy Spirit can do in and around us. There's even instance in Scripture in which the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus Christ prior to Jesus Christ's ministry. So Jesus needed the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say a dove descended upon Jesus. It says the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. A lot of times we picture a literal dove descending upon Jesus with a little twig and the berry in his mouth. I mean, how many of you guys get that picture when you read that? But there's a problem with that because it was not a dove. It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. And in my mind, it was good enough for Jesus. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and words Groans that words cannot express. This is specifically talking about the gift of tongues. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express, and He who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in all accordance with God's will. I feel like this is really important, and I didn't put this in my notes, but I'm going to steal my phone really quick. A lot of times, people always ask if God's the same today as he was back then and tomorrow, what does it look like in the Old Testament? What did it look like? What does baptism of the Holy Spirit look like in the Old Testament? What does the Holy Spirit have to do with the, whole, the Old Testament? <clears throat> and I, I really do think it is absolutely key. Let me pull this up. Oh, apparently I accidentally closed it out. Give me just a second. I just think this is so awesome. So <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 10.2, they're specifically asking about um, the, old, the old believers, the old saints, the saints before Jesus Christ. How did they receive salvation? And John's response to them is they were baptized into Moses. Now that's into repentance. You remember in the Old Testament, in order to repent of their sins, they had to shed innocent blood. That was the covenant of Moses. So they were baptized into Moses. So they repented into Moses. And in the cloud and in the sea. There were three different instances, even within the Old Testament, of salvation. They were baptized into Moses, into the Holy Spirit, Moses, Jesus, into the Holy Spirit, and into the sea. We see all three forms of baptism today. We see baptism into Jesus Christ. We see baptism um, into the Holy Spirit. And we see water baptism. The same thing applied back then, it just was under a different covenant. Because now we have, the Jesus, have Jesus Christ to cover our sins. We no longer have to be baptized into Moses. Uh, into Moses, we can be baptized into Jesus Christ, and we don't have to sacrifice a lamb in order to receive our repentance because Jesus Christ was already sacrificed for us. I just think that is so cool. And, and this is, like I said, 1 Corinthians 10. That was in 1 Corinthians 10. I didn't put it in my sermon notes because I wasn't sure if it was going to apply, but I just thought it was too cool and I needed to share it. 
So let's go back for the sake of education, because today is a teaching day. Let's go back to look at Acts 2. Acts 2 is when the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit the second time. Acts 2. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a wind came from the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to. Peter, <clears throat> excuse me, Peter then goes on to continue to quote the, from the prophet Joel in the Old Testament days in which it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes with gifts. Gifts of the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying the baptism of gifts comes with the Holy Spirit. It's not about the gifts. It's about the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes with gifts. If you want to look these up, I'm not going to quote from Scripture, but I'm going to give you the places in Scripture in which it has these. So if you want to write it down, go for it. The gifts can be found in, mostly in Romans 12, 6 through 8, and in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Those gifts are uh, prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, distinguishing between spirits, and last, and actually probably least, or not least, but the interpretation of tongues. The one holdup that so many have with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the gift of tongues. And I feel like it is so stupid that a gift of the Holy Spirit is the holdup on why they believe what they believe about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It really is the lesser of the gifts. However, denominations believe and teach that it was the initial physical evidence. Within Scripture, within the New Testament, every single time that it talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming on people, it is accompanied with a sign. Even if it doesn't list the sign, it'll talk about the, the sorcerer that wanted the gifts so that he could have them and anybody who you laid his hands on would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't specifically say which gifts were present there, but why would a sorcerer all of a sudden be interested in the baptism of the Holy Spirit if there wasn't an outward sign for him to desire it? So every instance within the New Testament, there was a sign. And in every instance, <clears throat> in, in various instances, it talks about tongues as the initial physical evidence as in the initial evidence. It is not the end all to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a sign. And if you don't know what tongues are, I'm going to share with you guys some scripture about tongues because it is in the Bible. This is not me making something up. This is not my denomination making something up. This is scriptural. Acts 2.4. And I don't know if I actually think, did I put those on? Okay. Acts 2.4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Ephesians 6.18 Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication 
To that end, keep alert in all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Jude 1, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit is praying in your personal prayer language, which is a form of tongues. 1 Corinthians 4, 12, 14, 12. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. That's not English. For whoever speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. That means it is not an earthly language when you speak into tongues uh, in this specific reference of tongues. Now, there are different kinds of tongues, and there are different words used to explain tongues, but in modern translations, we just use the word tongues, and it basically kind of seems like it encompasses all forms of tongues. However, there are different forms of tongues. There's tongues which are words that are no written, uh, no earthly language, like we just learned, that are spoken to God. There's instances in which Acts, where they're speaking in tongues, and they're speaking in other people's native languages. So there's tongues in which you receive a language that you do not know how to speak, but the receiver speaks a different language, and they understand what you're saying. There's your personal prayer language. There's different kinds of tongues. And I know I'm talking a lot about tongues, and if you want to know more about tongues, I can resource you on that, but in all reality, I know that tongues itself is an extremely controversial topic, and a lot of people are like, oh man, I don't really want to talk about this. This is, this is weird to me, and honestly, I would say that I don't really feel like Tongues is a mountain worth dying for, and so I'm not going to stand up here and try to convince you how important tongues are, even though I consider it one of, if not the most important aspect to my prayer life. The mountain that's worth dying for is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, because I really believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so huge and so key for us spreading the gospel. Oops. basically, if you're curious what tongues is like, uh, what it feels like or how it happens, basically tongues is, is you're still talking. You still physically control your mouth. However, it's almost as if the Holy Spirit controls the language, if that makes sense. So while I'm talking, I'm still physically forcing my mouth to talk, but the language that's coming out, out is no longer English. That sounds weird, but dude, it's... I truly believe that my walk with God would be completely different if it weren't for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I gave my life to Christ one day, and I was actually at a SALT conference. I became saved, born again, on the first day of SALT. On the second day of SALT, I was a Christian for 24 hours, and then I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues that I didn't understand. The crazy thing, actually I had something in... Acts 19.2, when John says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I was that person. I was the person that John was talking to. 
Courtney was the person that John was talking to, had not even heard that there was the Holy Spirit, hadn't even really heard that the Holy Spirit was an aspect. It basically was just an afternote when we prayed. We prayed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that was the only time the Holy Spirit was, uh, was uttered growing up. I grew up in a Christian household. Like I said, I didn't become a believer until I was in college. I've, I don't know if most of you guys have heard my testimony, but that might be another time for another place. But um, <clears throat> I grew up in a, a Lutheran church and a Methodist church. And in both of those churches, I had never even heard of the Holy Spirit. I'd never heard of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I never heard of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts was forbidden. I memorized a ton of scripture in the Lutheran church. And in the Lutheran church, I can't ever remember a single time in which I memorized something out of the book of Acts. An entire book of the Bible was completely missing from my growing up because of the controversial aspect of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, which is why I quoted, I quoted Scripture rather than my own knowledge. However, <clears throat> a part of Scripture, you can hear the Scripture, you can learn the Scripture, you can understand the Scripture, and you can still not be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Other times, you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and have never heard or read or understood the Scripture. I was that person. I was the, no, we have not even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so today... Now, to finish out, I'm going to share with you guys some testimonies of my walk with Christ uh, and specifically my walk with the Holy Spirit, how that looked in my life as someone who would never learn any of this that you guys are learning today. I never learned this. I experienced it first. I then had to go back into Scripture and read what the Scripture had to say about the experiences I was having. So when I say these, keep in mind, I experienced this before anybody told me about the Scripture that accompanied it. So it's salt. Salt's coming up. It's awesome. It's exciting. Salt's coming up. But at the first day of salt, I was uh, an alcoholic. Man, I'd been to jail. Um, I was sleeping around. I was, I mean, I, I was an idiot. I go into salt. I give my life to Christ. And bam, God transforms me into a totally different person. All of a sudden, I'm excited about Jesus and there's a lot more testimony that leads up to this, but we're just kind of paraphrasing because it's already kind of getting late, and I want to continue and get through this. <clears throat> but I give my life to Christ, and I'm in tears. I'm sobbing. I've experienced something changed in me. My, uh, my thought process already had began changing. I was no longer thinking about women and alcohol. I was thinking about Jesus Christ. I wanted everything that Jesus and God had to offer for me. And for the next 24 hours, I probably read like half of the New Testament because while everything else was going on at Salt, I was just trying to learn more about this experience I had. So the next day at Salt, we're sitting there and we're praying and uh, all of a sudden this lady walks up and she lays her hands on my back and she begins speaking. The only way that I could explain what she was saying is that it was a different language other than English, and the only dialect I could even feel like I recognized, you know how sometimes you can recognize like Chinese versus like Europe or the Middle East? You can kind of hear dialect changes. It sounded like an African dialect. That's the only way I could explain it. So I have it in my mind that there's a, a black lady standing behind me praying for me, and all of a sudden her words begin to transform into English. And as she's praying, she begins saying things to me that there is no way that this lady knew, specifics about my life. And then she goes into 
saying specifics about my future and God's calling on my life and what God is going to do in my life and the future of my walk with Christ. And so I'm like, man, this lady is, she knows Jesus, man. I was like, this lady is a psychic. And I look up and it's just some like middle-aged white chick, probably from North Dakota. This is not an African lady. She doesn't speak any African languages. She actually informs me the only language she knows is English. But yet she knew this other language and knew about me, even though she didn't know me, and was saying things about my future. That was awesome, and that was powerful. I didn't understand it. I'd never heard any of this stuff before. And so I was kind of like, that was an awesome experience, man. And I could just, I could tangibly feel the presence of God while she was praying for me. Fast forward later on, they began asking, hey, if you guys, do you guys want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I was like, I don't have any clue what you're talking about. Are you talking about something in scripture? Because I've never heard of it before. And they were like, yeah, this, is, this happens in Acts. And they kind of gave me like a super duper duper brief rundown of what Pentecost was. So like one of the scripture references I quoted to you guys today, that's kind of their backing as to why I needed this. But I had just given my life to Christ the day before. I had just experienced the newness and the renewed feeling of being a Christian. I knew that if it was of Christ, I wanted it. But I also knew, and I just had the feeling like, if this wasn't God and this wasn't real, that I'm not going to get like a demon by praying for this. I just knew that if God wanted it for me, he would give it to me. And I was okay with asking for it, even though I didn't understand it. That's basically my thought process going into this. You have to keep in mind, I had been a Christian for 24 hours at this point. I didn't need to understand. I just knew if God wanted it for me, I wanted it. And so I went up and I began praying. And uh, one of my other Chi Alpha friends who had come up there with me, his name is Vaughn. He's actually a pastor of a church now. Began, he laid his hands on me and began praying for me. And he was like, hey, this is, uh, this is baptism of the Holy Spirit. You got to ask for it this way. And he taught me how to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, and ask for the gift of tongues is your proof to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so I prayed and I asked for the gift of tongues. And then he said, okay, you just have to talk and allow the Holy Spirit to basically utter what you want to say. And I can't explain it, but just like that, boom, I was speaking in a different language. I had no clue. I had never experienced that before, obviously. But I was experiencing something that I hadn't learned about. I was experiencing the gift of tongues, as I just talked to you guys about the initial physical evidence. It was the initial evidence as to what the baptism of the Holy Spirit was. <clears throat> and so, like I said, I knew that God wanted it for me, or if, if God wanted it for me, I knew I would experience it. And I want to go back into Scripture, into Luke 11. It says, Luke 11 says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, even though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is specifically talking about people who ask to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and ask for the Holy Spirit. So obviously this is saying that if you ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God is not going to give you a demon instead. God knows how to give good gifts. So my third experience with the Holy Spirit. Again, all this was brand new to me. Two days, two days after I came back from Salt, we were in here. It was actually in this room. We were in this room, and uh, I was praying in my personal prayer language in tongues. 
was praying in tongues in the back of the room. And I just stopped for a second. I said, hey, God, is there anybody here you would like me to talk to? I don't know why I said that. I just said it. And immediately, I felt like I needed to go over and talk to one of my buddies, Isaiah. At that point in time, he wasn't my buddy. I didn't know him at all at that point in time, but he later became one of my buddies. I was like, all right. So I walk over, and I, I touch Isaiah, and I'm like, hey. And then, so in my head, I'm thinking, what am I supposed to tell him then? And I just felt like God say, tell him he needs to go and pray with his cousins. I didn't even realize that he had cousins. I knew that there were a couple people here, but I thought they were his brothers. And so I was like, all right. So I said, hey, dude, I feel like the Holy Spirit saying, you need to leave this room and go and pray with your cousins. And so he kind of gets a confused look on his face, and he's like, okay, whatever. And he gets up, and he walks out. And I hadn't heard whether or not he actually did it. I had no clue what he did. I just knew I felt like the Holy Spirit said something to him. He went and did it. He never came back, or he, uh, it was two years later. Two years later. So I had no clue of any of this that happened. But two years later, Isaiah comes back to me and he says, hey, you remember that one day in Chi Alpha when you came up to me and you said, hey, you need to go over and you need to pray for your cousins. I was like, yeah. And he said, well, I did that. I went over and I prayed with my cousins and all of us began to weep. And it was at that moment that my cousins decided that they wanted to pursue you. And then eventually all three of them gave their life to Christ, were baptized and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Two of them at a later salt event. And so that moment, two days after I had given my life to Christ, set those three people on a path to give their life to Christ. And two years later, I found out about it. This is a word of knowledge, a prophecy. This was actually a prophecy because it was something they needed to go do, something about their future. God gave me a prophetic word, which is a gift of the Spirit. There's another instance. This is probably my favorite instance of, of, actually probably not my favorite, but one of the coolest confirmations of gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this is what is called a word of knowledge. So one day I'm standing during worship service and I'm praying and I'm asking God, hey God, is there anybody here you would like me to talk to? Anything you would want me to say? As for some reason, that's how I initiate this conversation with the Holy Spirit and with God. And I felt like God say, yeah, I uh, offer. Alpha was one of the Hawaiians that gave his life to Christ that Isaiah had gone and talked to. So one of Isaiah's cousins. I know their names are confusing. But Alpha, he said, go talk to Alpha. I was like, all right, what do you want me to say to him? He said, go tell him that he's not dumb. And I was like, uh, for real? And I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, dude, go tell him he's not dumb. And I was like, God wouldn't use the word dumb. Like, God's bigger than that, right? Like, he wouldn't use the word dumb. He'd say, go and tell him that he is a brilliant man and, and you know, and lavish these big words on him. That's how I pictured God, right? And so I was like, all right, I don't think so. But if this is really you, God, and I need to go tell him that he's not dumb, I need you to give me an opportunity. I literally finished that thought, and Sean, the old Chi Alpha director, broke up worship, and he said, hey, I need you to go and find somebody to pray with him. I was like, all right, all right, okay. I mean, it was literally the second I said, you need to give me an opportunity. Sean begins walking up. It was as if he heard from the Holy Spirit the moment I said that. So I was like, all right, so I'll go back. And I go back and I'm off. Man, I just feel like God wants me to tell you that you're not dumb. But again, like I said, 
I, I didn't think that God would just say that. So I began trying to explain what I meant or what God meant. And Alpha stops me in my tracks. He doesn't even let me finish. He said, no, what exactly did the Holy Spirit tell you? And I said, he just wanted me to come back here and tell you you're not dumb. And he began crying, weeping. And he goes, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I was just back here getting so frustrated. And I was telling myself over and over how dumb I was because I couldn't hear from the Holy Spirit. Dude, that is the Holy Spirit interacting with us as Christians. How stinking awesome is that? It is cool stuff. It's fun stuff. It's powerful stuff. Man, Alpha's life was changed because of two different instances in which the Holy Spirit talked to me to go and talk to him. They are gifts from the Holy Spirit. And so the only way you can really begin to rationalize my experiences with the Holy Spirit, the only ways in which you can rationalize my experiences with the Holy Spirit is either everything that I'm quoting in Scripture is 100% true, or I am psychic, and I know the future, and I know what you're thinking, and I know what is going on in your head, and I can read you like the back of my hand. And I can promise you by the arguments I've had with my wife, I am not psychic, and I wish I was. But the experiences, and these are just a couple of experiences. I literally am pulling from three of my favorite while I was a student because I want you guys to understand this is for you. The amount of times in which I've had words and knowledge post that, I mean, I can't even count how many times. I mean, I don't even know if you, how many of you guys have had a word, from, word of knowledge from me. And the cool thing is, and the only reason I'm, I'm talking about myself, it has nothing to do with me. I just get to walk along this path with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's choosing me and saying, hey, I want you to experience this. And so I get to get this word from the Holy Spirit. I get to go and give it to somebody. I get to see the Holy Spirit absolutely wreck them. And meanwhile, I just get to witness this. And every single time it happens, my faith builds a little bit more. Every single time. My faith just grows every single instance in which I hear from the Holy Spirit. Every single time I give a word of knowledge, every time I'm praying for somebody and they're miraculously healed, every time I give a word of wisdom, every single time uh, I have a, a, a word of exhortation. You guys have been, you guys that go to Shattered Community Church, how many of you guys go to Shattered Community Church? Like half you guys? How many of you guys have experienced somebody getting up, walking to the front and saying, hey, I feel like the Holy Spirit, I feel like God is saying this to you guys. That's a word of exhortation. So you guys have witnessed, you guys have even witnessed the gifts of the Holy Spirit occurring within ministry. And some of you guys have even been touched by words of knowledge and words of, words of wisdom and words of whatever. And so as we finish out tonight, oops, okay. as we finish out tonight, I was going back and forth in my head whether I wanted to just end the night and let you guys go home and study scripture and look at the instances, look at what you guys are reading about, or give you guys an opportunity to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I really do feel like we're in a place in which you guys are, are cool with us moving forward. And so we're going to spend like five, 10 minutes, and I'm going to ask everybody that's been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you know you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, to come up front Everybody that's been baptized in the Holy Spirit to come forward or that feels comfortable praying for somebody else to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
if you feel like you need a renewal of your baptism, Holy Spirit, as I said, you saw me pour this out. Sometimes we need to ask for a new pouring of the Holy Spirit. So if that's you and you're just dry with your relationship with Christ, but you know what being baptized in the Holy Spirit is, and you've felt it in the past, but you need to feel renewed, don't come up to pray for other people. You need to come up to receive prayer. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you are completely comfortable with just going forward with it, with the information I have given you, then you'll have an opportunity to come forward and receive prayer. I can't guarantee, I can't guarantee that you're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight because that is up to the Holy Spirit of whether he gives it to you tonight or not. And if you are not comfortable with that, I'm just going to ask you to stay in your seats. If you're not comfortable with it, I'm going to ask you to stay in your seats, and I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit what you should do. And I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you an impression of whether or not you need to go up and ask for it, and whether or not you need to receive it, and whether or not you need to ask for your uh, personal prayer language tonight. And one thing I do want to encourage you in is, yes, I do always ask you guys constantly to move forward and to get yourself uncomfortable to move out of your comfort zone as a Christian, move past what is comfortable to you. But at the same time, I want to stress that you need to make sure that if you are uncomfortable in an area of what a pastor is saying, that you need to look it up in Scripture and make sure that the Bible is saying it. And so I encourage you, if you are feeling uncomfortable with what we're saying and what we're sharing today, this is not an end-all. This isn't a, you can only be in Chi Alpha if you believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying any of that. But I am saying, I believe that this is a game-changer in your walk with Christ, and I want to give you an opportunity to receive it here tonight. There's going to be other opportunities at small groups, at SALT, at other conferences in which you can receive it. But at the same time, this isn't going to be one of those things where every single solitary night I'm going to be saying, you need to believe this or you need to get out. Like, that's not how we work. The most important aspect of our faith is Jesus Christ. I've said that once and I'll say it a million times. Jesus Christ as our Savior is the most important aspect aspect to your life. Everything else is smaller than that. And so this is not an end-all. This isn't a, you're only welcome to this club if you've experienced this. That's nothing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an end game. It is a beginning. The same way that your walk with Christ began the day you gave your life to Christ, your walk with the Holy Spirit begins the day you begin seeking Him and asking Him for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So, Lord, we thank You for tonight, and we thank You for this opportunity to get to know You better. God, I pray that You would impress on these students that if this is You and this is something You want for them, that you would make them feel it, that they would know, that they would feel it within their hearts, that they would get that feeling like, hey, this is of you, God, and this is something you want for me. God, I pray that going forward, it is only what your will is. Not what Tanner's will is, not what Kyalpha's will is, and not what the Assemblies of God will is, but what your will is for our lives.